this morning, this glorious Sunday morning. I know I say that every week, but, you know, quite frankly, it is when you can come and sing praises to God. And um, that last song was a request of mine that the worship team did, so I was really uh, digging on it. It's a new song that they've done. And um, they have a request jar. You just need to write your request on a $100 bill and slip it in. That's what they told me to say. Not really. Uh, I guess I have a little special treatment since I'm the pastor so I can request songs, but I'm really grateful that they did that because, man, it's cool. It's just a great song to really feel the grace of God. If you, if you just listen to it and let it wash over you. You know, Amazing Grace, a song you've sung thousands of times probably, heard at least that many times, to see it in a different light, to hear it in a different light, and let God's grace truly wash down on you like rain. You know, it's something that sometimes we take for granted as a community, the fact that God blesses us and and takes care of us, giving us our daily bread, giving us the very breath that we breathe. It's, it's just amazing sometimes, um, me forgetting to thank God each morning I wake up and step foot out of my bed saying, holy cow, that is so cool that you can put all of this together, and it works, and that I have a roof, and that I have a family, and I have so many things. So thank you, God. Thank you for your grace. Speaking of grace... Uh, many of you have been with me uh, through the journey of my grace, mine and Jenna's grace. You have been, uh, you know, subjected to my uh, the, my various times of, you know, blubbering and my mascara running and, you know, telling you about grace and all the, the waves that have hit us and the, the turbulence sometimes in her life and in ours as well. And so I wanted to share with you a, a, a victory um, that occurred on Thursday morning. Um, because you get to see the other side of it, you don't always get to see this side of it. Uh, she crawled for the first time. Um, yeah. So we are very, very excited about that. Um, she's closing in on two years old. Her, her brother, who is her size, is five months old. And I think she looked at him Thursday and went, holy cow, if I don't get started moving quick, <laughs> it's going to be all over because um, he's huge. Uh, just like his mother. Um, was the mic on for that? Was that my outside voice? She's at the 930 service, uh, even though her parents are here. We are in the middle of, at the, towards the end of, a series entitled Under Construction, Building God's Dream. And basically what we've been talking about is community. God's dream is community. He, he set it up from the very beginning. This is what he desires for us. It's to live in community, to be in community, to come to worship him in community, to learn about him in community. We've talked about uh, recently in the last few weeks about the church, the body of Christ being the community, being the community that he envisioned. This, this is what I planned for you. This is, this is how I have set everything up, was to operate in a community like this, was that this community would carry forward my love and my peace and my passion throughout the ages until I come home. And, and community is what it's all about. And, and, and there's one thing that... In community, we don't always talk about. In a community like ours, and in communities across the country a lot of times, and around the world, a lot of times the thing that is never mentioned are the least of these. A lot of times the things that we don't want to talk about, that we don't want the spotlight to be on, are the weakest of the group. The ones that are less than desirable for any number of reasons. There's something to be said about this in the text. God cares about it. He's pretty, pretty clear about it. 
you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 21. This is the, this is the last chapter in John. And the resurrection has happened. The, the crucifixion has happened. The resurrection has happened. Jesus has appeared to the disciples two times. And he comes back his final time before ascending to the Father. One more time he appears to the disciples. And, th- and this is where we are right here. They've been out fishing. And the dis- seven other disciples have been out fishing. And they were having no luck. And this guy appears to him and says, throw your net on the right side. And boom, they catch all these fish. Like, holy cow, it's Jesus. He's, he's back again, you know, because he just kind of appears like that. And you would think the same. And, and so they, they come back on shore, and Jesus is cooking breakfast for them. They, didn't he, he's a short-order cook as well. Um, in verse 15, after breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Once more he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. The truth is, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked and go wherever you wanted to. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will direct you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death he would die to glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. This is a very familiar scripture, I'm sure, to a lot of you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. It's one of those scriptures that comes around a lot, and you and, and you hear it a lot. It's one of those scriptures that uh, VBS loves to to latch onto, Vacation Bible School. And about four years ago, there was a song in VBS, and it was, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. That's going to be in your head for the rest of the day. <laughs> it's worse than it's a small world. It is one of those songs that, I mean, every time I hear this scripture, I'm like, oh, here it comes. And uh, a pastor who was here at the time, Scott Hare, he and I kind of like to do this. So anytime this scripture comes up for either one of us, we give a little phone call or even an email works. And you just say the first line, Peter, do you love me? Left a voicemail uh, on his phone saying that. Peter, do you love me? And then I hung up because I know immediately in his head is, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You're a crocker. It's pretty much what's going to happen. And I will get a call. And, you know, some language will be shared, I'm sure. I love you, something like that. It's one of those scriptures that is there, and it's talked about a lot in different sermons. And there's a, re- there's a lot in here. I mean, in, in these verses, from verse 15 to verse 19, there is a lot packed in there. One, this. I, what has just happened? The crucifixion, the resurrection. Right before the crucifixion, Peter is told by Jesus, you will deny me three times. Peter's like, dude, I'm the rock. I'm the rock. You told me I'm the rock. Do you smell what I'm cooking? I'm the rock. I will, you will build the church on me. There's no way I'm ever turning my back on you. What happens? A little slave girl comes up to him. You're one of them. You're, you're a follower of Jesus. No. Not me. You must have me confused with someone else. No. Think of this. 
the last communication, really. It was nonverbal communication that, that Jesus had with Peter before he went to the cross was a look. When the rooster crowed, Peter realized what he had done. He had denied his Savior three times, and Jesus turns and looks at him. He's like, can you imagine what Peter must have been feeling? What does it say he did? He went outside and he wept bitterly. He just crumbled. He couldn't believe what just happened. So here's the resurrected Christ coming back. And why do you think he asks him three times, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that. Do you love me? Yes, yes. Do you love me? You know those questions were probably echoing so loud and, and, and Jesus was saying, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. You turned your back on me, but I forgive you. Now go out and feed my sheep. So there's forgiveness in there. There's this beautiful sentiment of the love of a Savior to His Son. I forgive you. And then there's the side of Peter being the leader of the church, right? He's the rock. He's the one that the church will be founded upon. Christ says, you're the rock. You're the one that the church will be built upon. You're it. You're the first leader. So go feed my sheep. Go be the leader. Go be the one who teaches. Go be the one who leads and gets all the disciples together. And, you know, John, the sons of thunder, they're crazy little fellows. You know, get them under control and send them out to share my message. You're the leader now. It's time to step up. I'm going to be with the Father. It's time for you to take over. Start leading. And then at the end of it, he tells them how he's going to die. Your arms will be stretched out. You'll be nailed to a cross to give me glory. Man, there, there's, just a, there's a lot right there. There's a lot right there. But then there's, there's also this side of it. Feed my sheep. Peter, take care of the people who can't take care of themselves. If you love me, you will take care of those who can't take care of themselves. See, God has a thing about this. He cares about all of his children, all of them, every single one. He created them lovingly. It says in the Psalms that I knew you in your mother's womb. Wonderfully created. All of my children. Doesn't matter what they look like. Doesn't matter where they live. I love them. Peter, take care of them. All of you, take care of them. Of each other. In the Old Testament, there's laws about this. There are laws. God sets out laws that say you must take care of people who can't take care of themselves. You must designate a certain portion of what you reap and designate it for someone else. Designate it for people that don't have food. Leave a portion of your field. Leave a corner of your field. Take, harvest everything, but leave a corner of your field left there so that people who don't have food can come by and can get food from your field. It was a law. It was set up. God was serious about it. God told the Israelites, take care of the widows. Take care of the children. Take care of the age. Take care of those who can't take care of themselves. And what happens when they don't? What happens on those moments where they forget he gets pretty ticked off. 
God gets pretty angry. And in fact, he punishes them severely. So you you think you don't have to take care of all my children? Fine. How does captivity and exile sound to you? Gone. He's serious about it. Jesus Christ, his son, he sent to earth, not in some beautiful place. He sent Christ to Nazareth, to this hole-in-the-wall place where Nathaniel, one of the disciples, when he first hears about the Messiah, goes, Nazareth, are you kidding me? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Christ came to a place that was poor. He came to a place that was dirt. He was born in filth. He was born in feces. He was placed in this, you know, we have this beautiful manger scene. Oh, it's so wonderful and it's beautiful and cuddly and I'm sure he had a little fur blind. No. No. And there's a reason. Jesus himself says, I didn't come to be served. I came here to serve. I came here to give back. Who did he hang out with all the time? Prostitutes, lepers, tax collectors. He hung out with people that no one else wanted to hang out with. He hung out with people that the Pharisees of the world, the the prim and proper ones that followed all the laws of God, looked down upon him. And they criticized him. Why why are you going to that guy's house? Why are you hanging out with those people? They're not clean. Jesus said, they're the ones I'm here for. They're the ones who need me. They're the ones, they're my sheep. You know, a lot of times, a lot of times in communities, we want to push them aside. A lot of times in communities, we have the least of these. We have the weakest members of our community, and we don't want to see them. We want to scoot them under a rug. We want, to, we want them to disappear and to see the beautiful world that we live in. Because it's happier that way, right? I heard a story recently about uh, Walt Disney World is creating a community. They're creating a, a subdivision. A, uh, I don't know, it's a, like, it, it's a community of houses. And they're building it the Disney way, right? Everything's going to be perfect. It is going to be a Norman Rockwell picturesque scene. They're going to build these beautiful homes that all are just, just gorgeous looking. And the, and the landscaping is all come in. They have their little Disney crew that come in and they landscape it. It's going to be beautiful. They're going to have little walkways and pathways and a little town center where the Disney band will come and play on holidays. And there will be a little stream running through. And it will be just just the most pleasant experience. In fact, they've taken it to such an extreme that they have placed throughout the community speakers in which they will pump in soft music and bird noises, chirping birds, so that wherever you go, it will be a peaceful, harmonious experience in the perfect community in which you live. When I first heard about this, I started laughing, and I was like, that is so cool. I really want to live there. That's awesome. You know, I want this idyllic, you know, this, uh, what was that Jim Carrey movie where he lived in that little world that they created for him? Huh? The Truman Show, thank you. Uh, The Truman Show, where they create this perfect little community in which he lives, but it turns out to be false. It turns out to be fake and it just ruins it. There was nothing. It wasn't a real community because a real community, a true community, has weak members. It has people that need to be loved. It has sheep that need to be fed. It has people that are sick. It has people that are poor. It has people that are older. It has those people that God so loves that he sent us to take care of them. He said in his final appearance to the disciples, feed my sheep. 
take care. It's your turn now. I was here for a while, but I'll be back. But until I'm back, take care of each other. Take care of each other. There's a story on where I get all my information, the Today Show, recently. And it was Ann Curry who did this story. And, and I'm not a big Ann Curry fan. I think she's way too emotional um, for me. But uh, So it was, it was natural that she did this story. She went to Romania. And I don't know if any of you saw this. She went to Romania, and she was allowed access into some of their hospitals for the mentally retarded. And it was devastating. Basically what happens in Romania is that if you have a child that is born with Down syndrome or, or any kind of syndrome or any kind of uh, developmental delay or some deficiency in any area, basically what you do is you send them to a hospital somewhere in a corner of the country that is far from anything, that is just horrendously dirty. They show these pictures of these children packed in beds just next to each other and next to each other and next to each other and next to each other. They showed kids that had been in a position so long, this, poor, this, <laughs> this child who is, who is 21 years old, has been in a position for so long that his body is stuck in that position because no one picks him up and no one loves him, no one takes care of him. He's essentially been swept under the rug, taken out of the eyes of society because we don't want to see that. can't imagine how God's heart must grieve for that. I can't imagine it. I, I saw it and I just, I, I was brokenhearted. I was seeing these kids and just devastated that God's sons and daughters are being forgotten purposefully. They're pushed aside. And you know God's up there going, oh, I created him. Lovingly, wonderfully, beautifully, in his mother's womb. I've known him forever. I created this little guy to be so wonderful and special. But you just don't see it. Oh, just open your eyes to him. I can't imagine what he must feel like. I, I mean, I, I have two children, and, and I love my children terribly. And, and truthfully, if we lived in a country like Romania, Gracie might be in a hospital like that. And it makes me sick. It makes me sick to my stomach to think of that. My precious Gracie. Somewhere where people who are taking care of her who really could give a, couldn't care less about her. That makes my heart hurt. I can't imagine what God must feel like. Because the love I have for her can't even touch the love He has for her and for me and for all of His children. I mean, think about it. He, he created us. He was like, uh, one day, I don't know when he did it, but one day he was sitting there going, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to create this person. And this person's going to be amazing and beautiful and wonderful. The world is going to see them differently because they're going to have a little differences. But they're going to have something to offer the world. Oh, I can't wait for this person to grow up and to see what they're going to do. This, this little boy who's just going to grow to be a man and he's just going to be, oh, I'm so excited about it. And we get this little guy here, and we see something different and wrong, and we push him aside. I'm sure, God's like, oh, that's my child. You don't know what you're missing. 
But it happens. It used to happen in our country a lot. It still does to some respect. Those are the people that Christ is talking about. Feed my sheep. Take care of those who cannot take care of themselves. People who are older. We, we have two communities. Right there, Brighton Gardens. Right there, the Forum. Two communities that surround us, that are our next-door neighbors of men and women who are in the twilight of their years. And a lot of them have been placed there to be forgotten by their families. A lot of them have been placed there and don't get visitors very often. That's part of the deal. God says, honor your father and your mother. And yeah, part of that is respect them as you're growing up and listen to what they say and, and all of that. But, but I think part of it is also this. When the time comes, when they are no longer productive for society, take care of them. Because the only reason you're here is what they have done for you. How they have moved the country forward. How they have moved your family forward. How they have moved the world forward. Honor them. Take care of them. Don't cast them aside and put them in some corner and wait for the phone call that tells you that they've gone. Take care of your fathers and your mothers. He's not just talking about your actual individual father and mother. He's talking about all of the men and women who have gone before. Take care of them. They've been carrying the burdens and they've been carrying my cross forward longer, much longer than you. Honor them. Respect them. The aged. Children. Children have always been considered weak. They've always been considered the least of these. There's a, a, a horrendous story that comes out of Ephesus. Back when Ephesus was in its heyday, it was the biggest city in the world at one time. Had just, I think, around a million people in this city. And, and one of the things that happened during this time was if you had a child that you probably didn't want, there was something you could do about it. You would go just on the other side of one of the city gates. And right outside the gate, I've been there. Right outside the gate, there was a dump. And you would dump your child. You would cast your child aside onto a heap of other children. They say that during the heyday, that there could have been 20 kids a day that were thrown into this pile. Archaeologists have found this book that was written by a doctor who was in Ephesus at the time who was giving instructions of how to go out to the dump and to search through all the kids and to find the kid that would be the perfect slave for you. This is what they did with their children. Jesus Christ gathers them around. Blessed are the children. My children. If you do anything against them, whew, it would have been better had you never been born. He took it seriously, taking care of those who could not take care of themselves. And, and then there's the poor. Jesus talks about it quite a few times. He talks about the poor economically, people that don't have money, people that can't afford things, people that need food, that need shelter, that need clothing, take care of them. In the early church, they surrounded each other. They, they gave, it says in, in, uh, in Acts, when the, when the church was just 
coming together. They sold all, the, all of their possessions. They put the money together. And whoever had a need, they would take care of that need. They had to do that for survival. Their very lives depended upon it. Take care of each other. Take care of each other. If somebody doesn't have enough, you give them what they need. That's what you do. He also talked about the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit. Poor people aren't just economically poor. Poor can also be somebody who is struggling with something. Somebody who is struggling with a medical issue or somebody who is struggling with a big decision or or, whatever it is. Sometime in their life, sometime in all of our lives, we are poor. And we need the support and the love of our community. I've said this before. There's no way I could have made it through some of the waves that hit us with Gracie's medical conditions, if I weren't surrounded by people who loved me, and supported me, and prayed for me, there's no way. I would have been lost and flipped out and gone somewhere. It was the strength of Jesus Christ through those men and women who surrounded me in His love. The time I was poor and needy and desperate. But that's what you do. That's what we do as a community. We come together and we feed his sheep. We come together and we take care of the lambs. We come together and we take care of those who cannot take care of themselves. A few opportunities that are coming up in which you can say, yes, Lord, I love you. You know that I love you. And this is how I want to feed your sheep. One of them is our pledge drive is coming up. Every year we have a pledge drive in which we get our operating budget from, in which we send out money. We, we spend, I, I can't, I, I don't know the figures off the top of my head because I'm not that smart, but the money that we send out to help is, much, is, is a great, 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 great amount of money. David Minitsky has made a commitment that that is our number one priority. It's to not look in ourselves first, but it's to look outwards first. There have been a few times uh, re- this past week that David had opportunities to be the hands and feet of Christ, that, that churches, Methodist churches, uh, one in Peru and, and somewhere in, in Africa, needed help and needed assistance for something in kind of an emergency-type deal, and we couldn't help them. We didn't have the money. It's kind of a, a misconception about our church. We have this tremendously large church in Alamo Heights, and people believe that we have money just bursting out of every seam of this building. We don't. It's a great misconception about it. It's one opportunity for you to feed. It is through giving. And the second one that I want to draw your attention to is something Daryl talked about earlier, the Thanksgiving service Sunday. Coming up this Sunday, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, what we're going to do is worship God by service. Worship God by doing something other than singing. We will have worship songs and I will come up and, and speak for maybe three minutes. And, but then we're going to cut the service short and we're going to fill bags of food and we're going to send them to uh, restock our Hope Center right back there that we have people come in on a constant basis that need food immediately. We're going to send it down to the San Antonio Food Bank who at this time of year always needs food to give out to people that need to be fed. Uh, there's other opportunities to go to Brighton Gardens and to the Forum to go and just sit and listen because a lot of times that's all they want 
is for somebody to sit and listen to their stories, um, to go over there and to love on the people who have been around for a long time. Uh, there's other opportunities to go down south of town and uh, take buckets uh, uh, filled with mops and cleaning supplies and different things that families around there uh, need desperately and, and maybe don't have the money to buy those things. Uh, so they're going to take these uh, buckets uh, around there. So there's there's many different opportunities. Carrie Spielhagen um, can answer most of all of your questions. She's standing back uh, by the table holding the little child right there. Um, and uh, I can answer some of your questions well as well. Um, but just remember that we are the community. We are a church. We are a community. We are God's community. And we cannot exist. We can't exist without the least of these. We can't. And we could try to put up walls and we could try to paint these beautiful pictures and pretend that our world is rosy and perfect. But man, let me tell you something. We're missing out. If we do that, we're missing out on the true beauty of God. Because if you've, ever, if you've ever been involved in a service project, if you've ever been involved in a mission trip or something where you're giving of your time and giving of yourself, I've got to tell you, really, seriously, there's no better feeling. Uh, you go down and you go to Mexico to Piedras Negras and you think that you're going to go help. You're, you're going to go help somebody and you're going to go, I'm going to go my you know, little American self and go down and help the poor orphans in Piedras Negras because, you know, that's, uh, it's going to be great. And I guarantee you, everyone that's ever been down there who has come back has gone, wow, I think I got more out of that trip than those kids did. Every time I've gone on a mission trip to Mexico, to Mexico, to Guyana, somewhere here in town, I come back closer to God. If you push aside the least of these, you miss one of the greatest parts of Jesus Christ the compassion and the amazing grace that he gives us to rain down. It takes all of us together to be the community. All of us. It takes those of us who are the leaders of the church and up on the stage and the worship leaders and the people that serve in the band. It takes the people who are up in the booth and you never see unless something goes wrong and you all turn up there and gowl at them like, ah, oh, what is going on? And you don't see, you never see them. You take the people that the front who hand out the bulletins and say hello. It takes the people who come and set up chairs at 8.30 every morning to get the chairs ready for you. It takes the people who stay after. It takes the people who do the prayer ministry. It takes all of us. It takes all of us together to be the body of Christ, to be the community of God. It takes the strongest and it takes the least of us to be a community. Unity in jobs, unity in our schools, and unity in our church. But what is the implication behind the word? Is it nothing more than a group of people working, learning, or worshiping together, loosely linked by a common goal or belief? Perhaps unity begins as nothing more than an empty cup, a framework 